This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Oh, no, you didn't have the headphones, so let me translate. So he said, uh, thank you all for coming. And Stevie Kim is great. You know, he couldn't do without me. So, you know, he decided to show up. Okay, that was kind of the, no, it, uh, joking aside. This is kind of, it's a challenging time for all of us. So I think he explained the current situation and their commitment to going, forging ahead during this very, very, challenging times but as you can see there's really good energy here and i'm so um um, he's very grateful to um have your presence and um this is a good way to see each other even if it's very brief small window um as a bridge to finitely 2022 okay so let's let's get straight straight away to um the first session i'm going to call um Fine, Zacharyson to the stage, the Colangelo people. Let's let, let's give it up for Fine, because I've, Thank you. I yeah I've like mispronounced his name so many times. Of course, he's he is such a. Um, this is your third time, right? Uh, second time, I think. No, are you? No, sure? I was virtual last year. That's yeah, true. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Virtual, virtual still count. It does count. It yeah. Does okay. Count, yeah. So this is the third time Heine's been with us. So he's kind of part of the family, the wine to wine family. I'm glad he's back to kick up, kick us off today. Um, a lot of things ha- have happened. You know, people. I don't know what's going on with people. The only thing I do is like go on LinkedIn, and um, he is now the founder and board member. As of September 2021, so something happened. A little bit of back and forth. Yeah, something's yeah. happened. So he'll tell us a little bit about that. And I was actually um, on on um, walking to the office this morning. Long story, they know already. And I was watching the. Of course, I, ha- I you know I'm a girl, so I can do two things at the same time. Like wow, impressive. Watch. Yeah, I know. I'm like men, so I can. I was watching this YouTube by. Um, uh, Adam Gordon Levitt. No, what's his name? Adam. He was talking about how attention, the the because of social media, um, attention drives away creativity. And I think actually I highly recommend it to um, to anyone. It's inc- it's inter- interesting. So although yes, social media 
um, and, you know, an app like Vivino, it takes away a lot of, because you crave for attention, like all the reviewers, they want to be the top reviewers. And if you are like, you've reviewed, like if you have like four and a half stars, you want to get to the five star level, yes. right? Et cetera, et cetera. So um, it, I'm very interested in what you have to say and, and the audience. And I will also take questions um, after his presentation, both uh, from you folks here um, in the auditorium, but also online. Take it away. We'll do it together, right? Huh? We'll do it together. Yeah, yeah, yes. of course. Okay. It's Thank the you very dog much. and pony show. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank Take it away, much. honey. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here again. Um, I mean, we're basically on time. Stevie came up to me 20 minutes before and said, hey, we're starting now. And it's like, what the hell? Something has changed. Definitely a new normal here in Italy, that's for sure. Cool. Let's get going. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Vivino, obviously, retail, e-commerce, and so on. And, but I'm going to start with saying a few words uh, about myself. Uh, like Stevie hinted, um, I'm the founder of Vivino. I have been the CEO most of the time, but not all the time. We did get a CEO in back in 18, didn't work out. Um, so I came back in just before the pandemic, and now we have a new uh, CEO again. So, so I'm trying to run away from this. And now this time it's going to work for sure. But anyway, founder of Vivino, been doing this for 11 years now, and it has been an amazing journey, obviously, uh, to get to a place like this too. I am definitely an entrepreneur. I'm also a family man. I think you know, when you do something like this, um, you, you obviously can't do everything. And for me in my life, I think building companies and family has been the only two things I've been doing. This is a picture of the family right here. We actually lived in California up till 2020. So um, um, we moved out there in 2013, obviously to build Vivino and so on. And, and when we came back in 2020, we apparently forgot to bring two of the kids back. So two of the kids are still in California, one in LA and one in SF, and the third one lives with us in, in, in Copenhagen. My background is, when I think about where I come from, um, I grew up on some very, very small islands in the middle of the North Atlantic, a place called the Faroe Islands, which is 50,000 people on a rock uh, in the middle of nowhere. And there was little wine, and if there was wine, it was basically in two categories, red and white. Uh, what people drank back then was like beer and aquavit. Has anyone tried aquavit? It's good. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Aquavit is fantastic, but, uh, you know, moderate volumes, obviously. But I love products, and I wanted to solve a problem. And that's why I started building uh, Vivino. So we're going to talk, I'm going to show off some numbers uh, today. I'm going to talk about the pandemic. I'm going to talk about Vivino's story and e-commerce in general. But let's start with one of my favorite subjects, numbers. So first, we're going to look at Italian wine around the world. And um, these are all numbers from our immense database of numbers. And this one is, let's have a look at it here. So where do people drink Italian wine? Obviously all over the world. And for us, Italian wine is the second largest country in wine after France. I don't think that's a big surprise. But if you look at this, where is it overrepresented? It's quite interesting to see that Italy, obviously, you know, number one for Italian wines. But if you go up north from Italy, that's where Italian wines are incredibly strong. Germany, Benelux, Nordics and so on, Italian wines do really, really well. Um, you have the US too, where Italian wines do well. Russia is a big country. Um, they also do well in Russia. And then you have uh, Brazil. But specifically, 
any, anywhere north of Italy, Italian wines do well. We're also seeing a little bit of a growth, whereas as in, in, in 19, 17% of wines were Italian, in, in um, 21 it was 18. So a little bit of growth in the penetration of Italian wines. So where did it go well and where did it go not so well? Now we're rewinding a little bit here to get a full year in. And, and this was very, very interesting, right? What countries improved in 19 to 20 and what, which ones went down? And these are, this was a special, special year. So this is not necessarily a trend, but let's have a look at what we have here. So Benelux did really, really well. Belgium, Netherlands and Germany grew by almost 5% uh, just in one year. So quite a big growth. And where did it go, you know, not so well? It was actually the other wine producing countries, they took it down. So, so uh, France and Spain drank considerably less Italian wine. Again, we don't always have the explanations, but it could be COVID. It could be, you know, people will drink more local and so on during that period. Uh, if you look at the US, which is always important, US is around 3% um, down in this period. So not necessarily a trend, but, but um, a lot of things happening during that time, obviously. So I want to dig into the U.S. because it is the biggest wine market in the world and incredibly important for Italian wines. Um, again, looking at 1920, I wouldn't say we see sort of very, very clear things. Again, the darker reds are the ones that have moved during this period. Uh, if you look at the West Coast, not many changes there. The really most interesting part here is, is, is the East Coast and the North of the East Coast. We see like a pretty clear increase in Italian wines there. Um, the states that are really dark here, there are Americans in the room. You would identify, I know these states, I checked it before. But these are not very big states. This is North Dakota and Oklahoma and so on. So, so I wouldn't you know, put too much in that. There are low consumption states. But up in the north, that's Pennsylvania up there and so on. These are quite big wine states. So could be something's happening in, in, in the U.S. when it comes to Italian wine. Another thing which I found really, really interesting, and this is going way back. This is going 10 years back of Italian wine. So, so obviously red wine is the biggest category anywhere, but there's a real, real shift going on here. And, and this obviously is slow, but, but take a look at this. The red thing here is red wine, uh, the green one is white wine, and the blue is, is uh, sparkling wine. And if you look at white wine, how much it's growing, right? Uh, 10 years ago, it was like 3%. Now it's 13%. If you look at sparkling, uh, a similar trend, uh, what is it, like almost 1%, uh, 2 3%, up to 7%. So real, real growth in, in those other categories. And red wines, you know, not growing as fast as the others. So we found this very, very interesting. Again, a slow trend, but, but clearly something happening here. The other thing we've also seen globally is, is this crazy growth of rosé. And, uh, and this one actually is based on day-to-day on on -day consumption. So the cool thing you see here is really the... Um, uh, the seasonality of rosé, right? So people drink rosé in the summer, and some people drink it all year, as you can tell. But the growth is so clear here, right? Over the past five years, there's a clear, clear growth. And this is only Italian rosé. Uh, global rosé might be growing even more than this. So, so clear, clear growth in, in the, in the rosé uh, consumption. I want to do one more of these because they're, you know, they're a little bit of fun, actually. The next one here is a combination of white wine and sparkling. And again, we can see seasonality here. So, so take a look at the, at the white wines again. 
We drink it in the summer, and then in the winter we drink less of it. And then you have the sparkling, which is quite funny, right? Because they also goes up in the summer, and then around Christmas again. Uh, but both these categories also growing over the, over the last few years. So some super interesting trends here for, for the Italian wines. Um, and we're going to talk more about data later, but you know, the amount of data we have is just, it's crazy. We have so, so much data and people always ask us, Hey, what does the data say? And, and we say data really doesn't say much. You got to ask them really, really smart questions. And then maybe you'll get some answers, but we did a few of these for this. And I think it's so much fun to see what's happening with the data. So let's talk about the pandemic. Um, Steve, you hinted a little bit that a lot of things have changed during the pandemic. And uh, I promise you it's been a crazy year. So I'm gonna show you uh, something you might not have seen before. You might have noticed I, I do like numbers and graphs. Sorry about that. But the green one here is something that Google did. It's a mobility index. So in order to find out what actually happened here, we try and found, to find the correlation with mobility. So Google does like the Android smartphones and so on. So they've built this index called the mobility. So they can measure how much people are moving. So the green line here is Google's mobility index. It's all public, you can take it, but it's reverse, right? So when it's all the way up there, people are not moving at all. And if you look at this green line, it's clear that when you get to March of 2020, mobility index just goes up, meaning that people are not moving at all. And then you have the second one later on in the year. Goes way, way up. The thing is, the blue line is actually online sales. And we think at least there's a pretty clear correlation here, right? So when people couldn't move, they were buying a lot more online. And, and this was very, very clear to us too. So people are stuck at home, they're gonna be drinking and they're gonna be ordering online. That's very, very clear. But it's funny to see how strong the, the correlation uh, was on this one. I wanna dig a little bit deeper into some of our numbers actually uh, in details. And, and this one is, is, is actually new buyers coming to the platform every single day. So normally before the pandemic, we would convert around 500 buyers. So normal users convert them into buyers every single day. Um, and you know, if you look at the, the early, this is starting in September of 19, it goes up on Black Friday, it goes up on Christmas, and then after it just goes back to a normal level. Again, around 500 um, every single day. But then something happens. And, and, and you have to remember that it's, it's easy for us to be smart around this and now, but when we hit February, and you know we sell wine in 17 countries around the world, we were like, like, what the heck is going on? It was really difficult for us to know and see what was gonna happen. And the first thing we did actually was like, okay, we're stopping all marketing, no hiring, nothing. We just said, cool it down. We do not know what's happening here. And actually in, in Hong Kong where we have an office, we couldn't ship for like five days. And I'm like, okay, this could be a problem. <laughs> if we can't ship anywhere in the world, we're in trouble. But then it opened up again in Hong Kong and, and people were sitting at home and they said, you know, we actually want wine and we're gonna order it online. And then numbers went up in Hong Kong. Okay, maybe there is something here. And then we hit sort of March 20th and number just kept going up. And, and now you look at this graph here and you see it, it just keeps going up all the way up to 2000 new buyers every single day. And, and that's obviously interesting, but I think one of the really interesting things is if you keep going that line, it stays really high. So our normal before 
was, hey, we can convert like 500 buyers every day, in, uh, 500 users into buyers. But that number is 1,000 now. So there was a shift and it went up and then it landed in a new place. And I think that's a, that's a big, big deal. Something that really happened there that, that really changed the game quite a bit here. Someone might ask, what is this partnership? You see this one day with 10,000 users. It's, um, do you guys know Post Malone? Yeah, so he launched this Rosé and people liked it. Uh, so around 10,000 fans came and bought that in one day. So um, they liked this Rosé for sure. And I just want to mention this one because there is obviously a change in the market. If you look at what people are drinking over the past uh, five, six years, beer is declining, spirits are increasing, and wine is sort of relatively flat on the, on the global seat. It's important to have, have included. I also want to mention that, that the wine market, how big it is and how small the online, the e-commerce part still is. Uh, this is a $400 billion market and we estimate maybe 30 billion or so is online. Um, there was definitely a shift during the pandemic, but we're still just scratching the surface. Um, so it is gonna come over the year, but it's, you know, we're not done yet at all. It's just getting started. That's my take on it at least, that a lot of this is gonna move online and, and there's still a lot of growth uh, to be had. So when you wanna do something like this, when you wanna take something and take it online, what do you look at? And, and we look at primarily three things, convenience, supply, and price. And, and sometimes we think that, you know, things just go online by themselves. You know, everything is gonna go online. And re that really isn't true. Things go online or to a new platform when they're better. They just don't, it doesn't happen automatically. We still go into the supermarkets because we think it's better to buy groceries in the supermarket. If it was better online, we'd do it online. And the same goes for, for the wine industry. You gotta be good at convenience, supply, and price. If we look at Vivino, what we wanna do is, starting with supply, we wanna have the best supply in the world. Like, nobody's gonna compete with us on supply. If you go to visit us in Germany, we'll have 40, 50,000 SKUs, like incredibly good supply. We wanna have great, great prices, uh, because it's going to be competitive. On the convenience side, I'm going to touch on that a little bit later, but it's not necessarily what we want to do the most. Like convenience, if you can walk 100 meters and buy something, that is pretty convenient, and we're not going to be able to do that. So convenience, we might score a little bit lower. <clears throat> One of the reasons why wine really isn't there yet is because it's still, it's, it's quite funny, you, th you think about technology and digital, all those things, and it's actually a little bit of the older audience that does most of the buying on our platform. Um, you would think that it's like the, the TikTok and Snapchat, uh, Snapchat generation, but it really isn't, they really aren't the ones that drive the volume here. And the reason for that is, is again, this is on our platform, is that the, the price points are actually a little bit higher online. So people, don't buy much five, six, seven dollar wines online. You have to get to 15, 20 dollars to make the shipping and so on work. So again, as we get more sophisticated, better, less expensive shipping, I think that's gonna go down. But the facts are right now that, that the older generation is still a lot of the people that are actually buying the wine um, online. So we talked about convenience before, and I want to touch, talk, to, talk to you guys about a sort of a, a new thing and something that also happened during the pandemic. If you look at, at, 
at what the traditional e-commerce is, and then there's another category called on-demand. What we do is like traditional e-commerce. You know, you go to a website, you buy it, you get it in one, two, three days. Um, you usually have a really good selection, you usually have good prices. It's things like Vivino, Vino.com, and Panico, and so on. But over the last few years, on-demand has become very popular, which means you get delivered in the same day, like one to three hours. It's a little bit more expensive. You probably don't have a great supply, but you get it quickly. And that's like DoorDash and Drizzly and so on. And I'm gonna dig a little bit more into that, but first I wanna show you what, what the effect was for the on the pandemic. And, and I will tell you guys that the guys that did on-demand did incredibly well. So these numbers are from second measure. They, uh, they measure credit card usage. And like the, the fat line in the middle is us. So we look at ourselves and say, yeah, we did really, really well. But the ones that did on-demand, meaning like three-hour delivery, like people were thirsty out there. I need my booze right now. And, uh, and they did so, so well uh, during this, this period. People wanted their you know, wine quickly. Obviously, when it comes to the end of it, they also get hit a little bit harder, whereas we sort of stabilized at a, at a, uh, at a better level, I would say. Uh, but these guys did really well. The new thing that's happened is that there actually is a new category. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this much in Italy, um, but there's these new companies that are what we call vertically integrated. And um, it's companies like Flink, Gorillas, and Getter. Is there anyone here in, in Italy that does this, you know? Okay, it's, it's really big in Germany. It's really big in the Nordics. Um, basically, they do 10 to 15 minutes delivery. And like, it is incredibly fast. It means that you, you sit there in your chair and like within 10 minutes, somebody knocks on your door. And that's gonna be wine, that's gonna be convenience, everything. Um, it is a new category and the way they do it is because they're integrated. So they would actually have dark stores and, and uh, pick it themselves and they go on their bike. Within two minutes, they're on their bike and off they go. The reason why I mentioned this is because this company like Gorillas they started a year and a half ago. They have raised $1 billion. So somebody really, really believes in this concept as something that could change a lot. Uh, so I think it's really interesting. And for the wine industry, I think it also matters because the next thing that's happening now is that we're getting even more used to buying online, right? There's this new category. By the way, uh, a gorilla slogan, it's uh, faster than you. I think that's kind of cool, but it's true, right? If you're gonna to go to 7-Eleven and buy something, they're gonna be faster. They only have one way to go, so they're only gonna to come to you. Um, but, but I think this is interesting um, because what's happening now is that we're taking another category within wine and groceries, all those things, and putting it online. So what we used to do at 7-Eleven, that might also disappear uh, because of this. Uh, so literally 10 minutes, it's super duper impressive if you, if you haven't tried it. Is the business model gonna work? Are they gonna make money? Who knows? At least they're putting massive resources into uh, to these, and that's gonna influence the, the wine industry uh, for sure. I wanna talk a little bit about Vivino here. Um, have you all tried Vivino? So why did I start this company? Well, I started this company because I was standing just like this lady here in front of a wine aisle and not knowing what to buy. I wanted to, to solve a problem and Look, I'm not the big sort of McKinsey guy that would do a lot of research. I just thought to myself, you know what? I can't be the only one who has this problem and turned out I wasn't. So 
So it's all about helping people drink better wine. Uh, you know, solving the, pr the problem you need to solve is easy. You know, this wine bottle in front of me, is it good or not so good? That's all. The challenge is that there's a lot of wine out there, a shitload of wine out there. So, um, so we built this product now and that has been going on for the last 10 years. You know it, you scan a bottle of wine, we'll give you all the information. But obviously you can buy the wine uh, through the app too. We have ratings, reviews, prices, very important, and also taste and so on. And obviously you can buy it through the app now too. So, so the product's been doing uh, really, really well. I wanna talk a little bit about what we really believe in here. I think uh, first and foremost, our core mission here is to help people drink better wine. And it doesn't matter if you're in a supermarket or if we're selling you a bottle of wine. We always want you to drink the better wine. We think the most important people here are the people that make the wine and the people that drink the wine. Um, they are the key people in this industry. And we're not gonna sell you know, ads to push certain wines up. We want you always to drink a better wine. We think that if we get a best possible wine in front of you, you will come back and buy again. So it's an incredibly important thing for us to be independent and the only interest we have is to give you the best possible wine. So with wine apps, there obviously has been uh, quite a bit of competition, uh, but over the last few years, uh, things have changed. We're not seeing a lot of competition anymore. Um, I would say by 16, 17, uh, there wasn't much out there. Obviously, e-tailers out there that have wine apps. When it comes to a wine community, uh, there's no one even close, me being modest again. But um, that, that is the way it is. Um, we're getting, we're, we're still growing fast and we're by far uh, the biggest in this space. Let me give you some, some numbers on that. 53 million app users, 215 million ratings uh, made in the app and like 1.7 billion bottle scans. 200,000 wineries, 14 million wines, and our users look up around 2 million wines every single day and around 20,000 installed the app every single day. Just gives us an incredible amount of data and helps our users pick uh, better wine. So, so the next question obviously is, why should people buy wine uh, through Vino? And, and that is a valid question. Um, there are a few things I wanna focus on. First, if you look at the supply side, that is incredibly important. You know, the, the ability for people to buy almost any wine, no matter where you are. So we're not there yet, but we have in most of the markets, incredibly strong supply because we combine all these retailers and, and put them together. The other thing that we think is really important is the data that we have to help you pick a better wine. So recommendations, data, personalization, and so on. Um, it's like we built all this data about wine, and on the other side, we build all this data about people, put those things together, and we can match you with the best possible wine. Um, if you haven't tried the app recently, one of the new features is a, a what we call a match for you. You know, you have the rating already, it's a 4.1, but on top of that, we have what we call a match for you. And what that means is that we look through all the data and then we sort of guess how good a match is this wine for you. And that's based on all the data we have in there. It's a very, very cool feature in my, in my opinion. The rating itself is, is something sometimes challenged by the industry, but we believe that a peer-to-peer -peer rating made by like casual wine drinkers is the best way to go. You know, I think experts and sommeliers are fantastic 
uh, they, they know a lot of things, they're gonna rate, they're gonna give you reviews and so on. But this is a different thing and it works really, really well because you have a lot in common with your peers. Yeah, and this is what it can look like, a lot of these reviews. People are, you know, funny, honest, and uh, all kinds of things. We also read, we also have machine learning and AI that reads through all these reviews and sort of puts that all together and so we can tell you exactly what the wine tastes like in a structured form. Uh, so although these texts seem like a little bit chaotic, we can actually go in and sort of aggregate that and give you a profile of the wine, something that hasn't been done really at scale before. Good, I'm, I'm trying to keep the time here. We're still good, right? Two more minutes. So I wanna, I wanna finally, I'm not gonna stand here and pitch, but I wanna you know, make sure the industry knows that we obviously work with, with the industry in, in so many ways. I think the most important thing here, if you're winemakers, whatever you are, you know, make sure your wines are available on the vino in as many places as possible. I mean, for us, that's what we want. We want our users to be able to buy your wines. That's number one. Then we have a few other things. We do, um, we do offers via email and so on. We do sponsorships to make, uh, put videos and other rich content on there. And then a new thing we just started, which we think is, is, has real potential. We're testing this in the UK and in the Netherlands. It's a retail program. Obviously, like I said before, you know, most of the wines is still bought offline. Most of the wines is actually be still being bought in a supermarket. So we're building this new program that's being tested right now to help people, you know, drink better wine in the supermarket using our data, but not necessarily using the app. So this is also something we're very, very excited about. With that, I'm gonna say thank you very much. We're gonna take some questions with Stevie. First of all, thank you very much. Um, yeah. We had a small snafu because, and it was uh, my bad, because uh, for the audience online, because you need like five minutes. I introduced Heine straight into his session without um, stopping. So the live sessions were actually streamed through the kickoff because they need a little space little wiggle room before we start a new session. So I'm going to do it again now? Yeah, do it again. <laughs> okay. Um, so we will take some questions. So I know for the online people, they were a little bit frustrated. But if you have any questions, I will now also go on to the um, um, this session and take questions from online students online um, participants as well. In the meantime, I do have one question to kick off. Sure. Okay, so how does this work? Like Vivino in Italy, for example, is it different from Vivino France and Vivino USA? How does it work like structurally? Yeah, great great question. Um, obviously it's all like, it's it's different companies, but all owned by one entity. So it's all rolls up to one holding company as, as such. But when it comes to buying and selling wine, we're still somewhat siloed, which means that the supply in Italy is mostly Italian, uh, meaning we have retailers, producers, and so on in Italy selling to Italian users. And that's what we're slowly changing now, that, that we want Italy to ship to all the countries in Europe. US is probably gonna be harder, but most of it is still siloed. So Italy is, is Italian and so on and so forth, but that's gonna change over the next couple of years. So I actually have an online question uh, from Joseph Timkowski. 
They're like challenging my pronunciation this morning. <laughs> he says, are, are you here, Tim? Actually, I thought he was um, attending um, in person. Anyways, he asked, it's kind of similar to my question. Does the wine rating depend on the country where I scan the wine? Oh, yeah. No, no, it does not. So all our ratings are totally global. Doesn't matter. So and all ratings are global. All ratings are equal. So that's also, you know, some platforms struggle with people rating one star and five star, and then this person is good at it, this person not so good at it. We, we've not been compelled to actually change that. So all ratings are equal. As soon as a wine gets 10 usually or 20 ratings, the ratings are solid. So it turns out that, you know, when people go to a restaurant and get really, really mad at a waiter, give a one star, they don't get as mad at a bottle of wine. So we have much less one-star ratings. We have a really nice distribution, so they're all global. Okay, um, then I know we have a question from the gentleman in the back, and then the lady, and and Robert. Oh my God, Anton, you actually have a question, or you're just saying hello? Question. <laughs> Both. Okay. Yeah, so um, let's go in that order. Would you mind introducing yourself, especially with mask? I don't know, I can't recognize okay. you. Uh, hello, everyone, my name is Giuseppe. Bonifaci, I work for a wine producer, Mazzottina, Conegliano, Valdobbiadene, Prosecco. But my question, uh, I just wanted to say that I've seen your documentary on Amazon Prime, Disrupting Wine, and uh, I invite everybody to see it because it's Thank very you. interesting. Uh, my question is, um, I'm developing a vino, um, an app about vino with a friend of mine, and uh, we are facing a big problem which is we don't know how to create the initial database. And uh, I know how, problem. how did I did you do that? And the second question is when you launched um, the Vino app in 2010, I guess, uh, did you already know that uh, it would have uh, turned into a marketplace or e-commerce? Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, starting with the data, and I, I've already talked about that for a long time. This is this is the core challenge of, of the industry is that there was no data available anywhere. So so basically we started, I was back in Copenhagen back then, and we built it 100% manually. I sent emails to every single uh, wine merchant in Copenhagen and said to them, hey guys, I'm doing this thing, can I come in and take a picture of every single label in your shop? So I did that day after day after day, and then we built a data team to actually add data to that. So that was stage one, built thousands and thousands of labels, and then slowly we did all kinds of hacks. We did like a competition and said, hey, send us labels and we'll match them and you could win a corkscrew. All kinds of things to, to hack it. So it, it, it's the biggest challenge of building this for sure. And, and the, the thing is you can't, you can't wait with launching. You have to launch it to get more labels. So you can't wait till it's perfect. You have to launch something that's a little bit crappy. Um, so, um, so it was really, really tricky, and we had to launch with a relatively weak database, but then we started to get labels in, and it got stronger and stronger. So the second question was on the commercial side. Did we always know what we we're going to do? And, and, you know, I work a lot with startups, and, and very often startups sort of pivot and say, no, no, we thought we are going to do this, we're going to do something else. So we knew exactly what it was. Uh, we didn't know how hard it was going to be, but we knew from day one that the obvious business model here is to, hey, you can scan a bottle of wine, put a green button on there and buy it. So putting that in a slide deck, investor said, yeah, we get that, that's easy. So turns out it's harder to build it than to put it in a slide deck though. So it was really difficult, but we knew early on, yes. 
Okay, we'll take the next question from the lady. Okay, um, I'm Diane Heck. I'm an importer. Oh, hi, Diane. Didn't recognize you with the mask. <laughs> I'm a VIA ambassador from New York. Um, so my question for you, Heine, is how does your distribution model work in the U.S. and as between states? Must you start with a with a retailer as a partner? How does a producer get onto your site and get to distribution? Yeah, so so we mostly have retailers on in the U.S. right now because of of the regulation. So when we started to build supply in the U.S., we said, okay, how do we get going here? And the best way to get proper supply going was to the retailers because then you add like a thousand SKUs instead of twelve SKUs, right? Uh, so we're very heavy on retailers, but we also allow wineries on now. So we have more and more wineries on. Uh, we work with Wine Direct, so a lot of the partners that they have can go through us. So mostly retailers, but doing more and more wineries. So in the U.S., it's either, as you know, retailers or direct. That's the, the two different things. But the available supply varies very much from state to state. Like you take New York, where it's really hard to ship in. Most of the retailers in New York are retailers from New York only, whereas in California, it's more open, so you have from different. So it's like a big puzzle of, of different supply in different states. Okay, we'll take a question from Robert. Thank you, Heine. I'm in an interesting situation because um, hey, now uh, the wines that we produce in France are getting a lot of scans. We're in about 20,000 scans uh, a month, which seems to be quite a good number. Our biggest market in the world is the US, followed by Russia. We are getting far more scans outside the US Proportionally than I would expect from the US. I'm interested to see what you see in terms of number of scans per market per wine. What is it that makes, I mean, we, we are doing incredibly well on scans from Russia and Poland, for example. Yeah, yeah obviously uh, it is, that specifically is a challenge, right? Because um, for us, we don't, we don't, we're not opened in Poland yet. And in Russia, it is, it's, uh, it's illegal to buy wine online. So we actually, I think Russia is for us, I think it's like, it's definitely a top 10 market, maybe top five from a user point of view, but we can't do anything. So I asked them locally, I said, hey, can we do something here? And then they say, yes, we deliver. So you deliver, but isn't that selling online? No, no, no. They buy, then we call and ask if they're a policeman. If they say no, we go deliver. And so, so there is, something's opening up in Russia and so on, but, but it's really hard for us. We would only be able to help you in the 17 markets where we are. And then obviously it sucks a little bit that one of them is Russia, which is a, has a lot of users and wine drinkers too. Yeah, we have a few Russians in the room, and one of which is Svetlana. Yes, hello. Have you got a question? Hello, my name is Svetlana Velikanova. I'm here. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. I have a, well, a sort of a technical question. A few months ago, there was a sort of a scandal uh, in Russia. Um, one uh, bulk wine from uh, ex-Republic, um, got very high marks. And we knew that uh, it was done, well, artificially. And I know that some people uh, refused using the vino because they can't believe. So how can we cope with that? Yeah, we, we do Sorry see... Mind. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good... Uh, so so I, I, I think I remember something about that. I don't remember the details, honestly. Um, but we do these cleanups on a, on a regular basis to find out if people try and manipulate. And uh, we know it's there. Um, and this this could have been political, right? Yeah, so so if something is, like if somebody rates a wine and says, hey, we think it's this this good, I'm like, who are we to judge them and say it's not that? So we're really, really careful with removing things unless it's clearly some kind of fake. 
Um, so, so it is a balance all the time to figure this out. And when it becomes political, it's also, you know, difficult. And we had problems with categorization because where do we put Crimea, for instance, and so on. So, so it's really tricky. But generally, um, dealing with ratings that are manipulative, it's it's an ongoing battle, and we do a lot of these things every single week to uh, to try and help that. Honestly, we don't see too much of it. Um, we have ways of testing because a lot of it's based on actual pictures taken, and it's really heavy to take that many pictures and rate and so on. So, so it is an ongoing battle. Um, I, I don't know really well about that particular situation there, but thank you. The lady in the middle. Hi, um, my name is Carrie Koiser. I'm currently a student in food and wine at the BBS in Bologna. Um, and my husband and I just recently opened a wine import company into Northern Ireland bringing Italian wines. Uh, but something that I'm not sure if is on the periphery for the vino. My husband's an avid user of your, <laughs> of your app, by the way, for years. He's so enthusiastic about it. Um, but as someone personally who's very sensitive to a lot of added sulfites, I used to make wine at a winery back in Texas a long time ago. And uh, any wine that's not naturally made tends to make me turn bright red. <laughs> And um, I have quite severe reactions to it. So I'm wondering if in the future, along with all of the descriptors you have, if there is going to be some sort of indicator of quality, whether wine is bulk produced, or is, is there even a way to crowdsource that sort of information of wine sensitivities? Well, yeah. That's um, a loaded question. There yeah. are, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it is appropriate, but because it's complicated. Yeah, You've definitely. touched on a lot of different issues that are not necessarily correlated, but... Yeah, Take I, it away. I, I, there's certain things we can do, right? So, so one thing there's been a lot of demand for is is categorizing wines as well as we can into like organic and natural yeah. and so on. So, so that is becoming bigger and bigger. And I just think we're going to add more and more categories to that. Mm -hmm. uh, finding the data is hard. We also have demand for koshers. Hey, we'd like it to be show if it's kosher. So we'd love to add as many of those categories as possible. Uh, but some of them are hard to do, and the labeling isn't always clear and so on. But but it is something that adds a lot of value for, for a lot of people. So we want to do it more and more. We're going to start with the more organic and natural and so on. Interesting. Thank you. Okay. Is there any more question? Okay. I have one from Anton and Arda, and those will be the last two questions before we close. Hi. hi. Another Russian. Hi. Hi, Nini. Hi, uh, hi. Uh, hi Nini. I got spanked so many times. Hi, <laughs> Okay. Good to see you again. Yeah, um, uh, I have a question about the competition because uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it's if it's, uh, delectable if, if, if even there anymore. I'm not sure. But uh, was it was there any moment uh, when you um, saw this new app? Uh, when it was appearing back then, uh, and you thought to yourself, oh, they're doing something differently, or what is the state of competition today? Why didn't start? Uh, I mean, why doesn't they make waves? Yeah, um, yes, all the time. Obviously, that sort of drives you also that, holy shit, these guys are good. And when Delectable launched around the same time we did, maybe a little bit later, but around the same time, I thought to myself, holy shit, they're, they're actually getting all these psalms and influencers on board, and they're going to do really well. Um, and for many reasons, I think they ended up not doing it, and they ended up selling it to, uh, to Galoni in, in, in uh, New York. Uh, but I always look at the competition, see what we can learn from the competition, but I also tell people not to obsess with it. Because, look, if you have a good core product, you shouldn't go around copying all these small features and, and stuff. Just 
just stay with your core and learn and, and, and so on and so forth. So yes, definitely inspired by it all the time. So why is it so hard? Well, it comes back to what you said earlier, really, like building this data and this flywheel that keeps maintaining the data is incredibly hard. And if you want to build a good wine app, you need to have the data. And uh, we have really, really good data now. And the size we have right now, I sometimes say to people, it might actually be the minimum size of a wine app because of the wine, wine business being so long tail, you need tens of millions of people to actually maintain it. So someone coming in with tens of thousands of users, it's just not possible. So, so it's really, really hard to, to compete. Um, but fortunately, you know, people come from the side, there are a competition in, in specific niches and so on. And obviously that's great for the user. So competition is always good. But well, we want to win, obviously. So. Okay, one last question from Arda. Hello, thanks for the talk. My name is Arda, and I'm a business developer in Eleanor Wines, of which actually Vivuno is a client. So I have two questions. Um, the first one is about the reviews, because now that I'm in the market, I understand that Vivuno scores are very important and shape really the you know, ideas of the buyers. Um, and I understand the value of democratization of these reviews. Um, but do you think about incorporating any sort of Somali or professional review system um, to create maybe more credibility in the review scheme? And the second question, because you talked a lot about the data and artificial intelligence, um, do you think it's possible through a total artificial intelligence mechanism to understand the style or the you know, preferences of the customers? Because there are many people that are against this um, approach. Yeah, yeah. Let me start with the with the SOM thing. Um, we we actually have some ratings in from experts in the app, and so so we have a little bit of that. Um, would we have others in there too? Yes, we really try. And so there's incredibly good people on the Vino that do reviews, and we have these algorithms that try and push those reviews up. Not the ratings; the ratings count the same. But if someone's really good at doing a good view, the algo tries to to push those reviews up. So we're trying to promote the people. So if there are SOMs and very good people on there that will be pushed up. Um, so I think that matters. So the next one was about AI and so on. Uh, yes, I think it's going to help us figure out the style and so on. Um, we, we've used this machine learning to determine what the taste is like. If you haven't seen the taste characteristics in the app, it, it's quite magical, I think. Um, uh, but AI is going to help us. It's going to be a tool to make things faster and better. But it's not going to solve all these problems. I think it's going to enable us a little bit. Okay, it's a, uh, 9.45. So let's give it up for Mr. Zachariasen, Mr. Vivino. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for coming back. And that's it. You guys have to leave the room because I have to sanitize with oh, the wow. Ghostbuster. Get out Thank now. You. Thank you very much. See you soon. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through ItalianWinePodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, Cicin.
guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.